Well, good morning, New Hope. Good to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, hit the wrong button there. Definitely want to have my stopwatch on so I keep track of time. Uh, I've been looking forward to this since I met with your pastor, uh, and then I met with uh, Conrad uh, following that. Good to see you. And I uh, was really excited and encouraged to hear about your shared commitment to follow Jesus together, uh, as well as your growing uh, desire to be missional in engaging your community and serving in some real tangible ways. And that really resonates with my heart as the director of Fostering Hope because we believe one of the ways that Christians can uh, really significantly impact their neighbors in their communities is by loving and serving with excellence those impacted by foster care. Now, when you think about foster care, you undoubtedly think about the children and teenagers living in foster care, either temporarily until hopefully they can be reunited with their biological families or in some cases permanently as they wait for adoption. And that's rightfully so. There are, there are thousands upon thousands of kids right now living in the system. But what we often don't think about are, as was alluded to earlier by Conrad here, the, the many, many people who are connected to each child in care. Biological family, siblings, extended family, biological parents, the child welfare community, social workers, and all the support staff and supervisors and case aides, and uh, the list goes on and on. The medical community and the specialists uh, who are involved in that, trauma therapists and doctors and occupational therapists and early intervention specialists, the legal community, lawyers, judges, guardian ad litems, CASA advocates, volunteers who are involved in different ways, and the list goes on and on for every child in care. The, the number of our neighbors and our community who are connected to them is really astounding. And so as the church community answers God's call to care about and for children in need of homes, at the same time, we have an incredible opportunity to build bridges of, of love, of trust, and of good news to so many of our neighbors across the swath of the socioeconomic uh, demographic of right, right in our communities. And so really, that's why Fostering Hope exists. We exist to mobilize the Christian community to raise up and support foster adoptive families by creating sustainable cultures of ministry to that community. So we work with churches like New Hope, and then surrounding an area DCF office, we'll work with networks of churches to help them think through how they as a, as a unique church body and then together as a church, churches working together can care and serve for these uh, children in need of homes and those who are caring for them in different ways. And so our generational vision is that every child in foster care would have a home temporarily through foster care until they, again, can return to their biological families or permanently, if need be, through adoption. We believe it's immoral that we as a society would remove a child from his or her home but then not have a home alternative for them. And so we want to help to flip that script so that instead of children and youth waiting for families willing and able to care for them. There are families raised up, willing and able, but they're the ones waiting, waiting because the need is so adequately met. We call that initiative Project Zero. So one of the things that we do is we work with communities like yours to help them create sustainable cultures is really the starting point for us as a Christian community is to think about how does our faith in Jesus compel us to care about children in need of families? 
And so I'm excited to do that a little bit with you this morning. And I want to begin by sharing with you a story about something that happened on October 5th, 2011. My family and I were gathered together in a small corner courtroom in Providence, Rhode Island, for the adoption ceremony of our second son, whose name is Asa. Now, we've had the joy of doing foster care for about 15 years. We've had about 30 kids come through our home over those years. We've adopted four of them, and we have two girls in foster care living with us today. So we have six in the family. Uh, Pray for us. Um, But four of them have been adopted, and you can imagine each of those moments were incredibly special to us, though bittersweet because it also represents a profound loss to them. But each ceremony was filled with moments and memories we'll never forget. But something that the judge did and said at this ceremony was incredibly impactful on me personally. We had arrived at the the climax of the ceremony, the moment in which he was going to declare Asa to be a member of our family. And it went something like this. He said, this child shall hereby and forthwith be known as, but then right when he reached that climactic moment, when he was going to state Asa's new legal name, He did something we weren't expecting. He didn't prepare us for. He paused. He looked me square in the eye. And though he didn't say anything, I could tell that he was silently beckoning me to finish his declaration by stating Ace's new name. At least I hope that's what he was doing because that's what I did. I summoned up my most impressive voice. And when he said, this child shall hereby and forthwith be known as, I bellowed, at least I like to think I did, bellowed out, Asa Michael Reed. And then the judge concluded the ceremony with these five simple but life-transforming words that I'll never forget. He said, and so it shall be. And he banged his gavel, and so it was. What a transforming moment in time for one boy and, and one family, for better or worse, For a boy, it meant a new name, a new identity, a new family, a new inheritance, although let's hope he's not expecting too much there. A new future for a family meant a new son, a new brother, a new cousin, a new grandson, a new family member, a new heir in the family. Everything changed because the judge declared it to be so. So later that evening as I was reflecting on that profound moment, I couldn't help as as a follower of Jesus to think about another kind of adoption that was far greater in scope and significance even than when, what we experienced that morning, and that was God's adoption of me into his family as one of his children. See, the starting point for the Christian community to think about, what is it about our faith that compels us to care about children in need of homes, is to recognize that if you're a follower of Jesus, adoption isn't someone else's story. Caring for children in need of home and family isn't someone else's story. It's our story. When we were in need of spiritual home and spiritual family, God at great cost to himself created space in his family for us to be brought in. And that changed everything for us. If you have your Bibles, you could look at Galatians chapter 4. Pretty familiar passage for those who have been following Jesus for a while. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul in verse 4 puts it like this. When the time came to completion, God, in the context, the Father, sent His Son, His unique, eternal, one-of-a-kind, forever-loved Son, whom we know as who? Jesus. 
God sent his son. Where did God send his son? He sent his son into the brokenness of the human condition to enter into and experience with us the the, the suffering and and the, the affliction that is our human story. God sent his son into this human condition. Why? He goes on to say, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law. So the first reason given for God sending his son was to redeem. Now that word redeem is a, a term of liberation, of deliverance. It refers to setting someone free from bondage by paying the necessary price for their freedom. And so the Father sent Jesus as the great liberator and redeemer to pay the price necessary for our freedom from sin and all its impact and effects in our lives. And that's what Jesus did. For all who would believe in him, they can experience the redemption and freedom. But it doesn't end there. He goes on to say there's a second, even more ultimate reason why he sent his son. Verse 5, to redeem those under the law so that we who've experienced redemption might receive adoption as sons. Incredible news. So when a person comes to faith in Jesus, God not only gives to that person a new legal standing before him by saying, you're you're no longer guilty, you're completely forgiven. That's good news, isn't it? But at the same time, he gives that person a new legal identity as a son, a daughter of God. It's as though the judge sitting behind the bench declares us no longer guilty but forgiven, then takes off his judge's robe, comes out from behind the bench, puts his arm around us and says, now that you're forgiven, welcome to the family, son. Welcome to the family, daughter. And for those who've experienced that, it changes everything for us. It gives us this new exalted status as a child of God. It gives us new exalted privileges as sons and daughters of God. That's a sermon series in and of itself of all that God has given to us in in Jesus. But it also, along with that exalted status and that exalted privilege, it also gives us exalted responsibility to live our lives in a manner worthy of this, this great calling. As the great philosopher and theologian Uncle Ben from Spider Man, yes, I'm quoting Uncle Ben, said, with great privilege comes, see, you knew, you pretended you didn't, but you knew what it was. So yes, we have been exalted to this great status as children of God, enjoying all the benefits are along with that, given this responsibility to live in a way accordingly. If you look over at Ephesians chapter 5, just one book over, there's a couple little verses there tucked in that really speak to this dual uh, thing of our our exalted status coupled with the exalted responsibility. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So there's the, exalt, there's the call to imitate God, to live and reflect Him in our lives, but there he says the basis of that call is in our privileged status as dearly loved children of God. So we don't seek to imitate God as a means of earning his favor. We imitate God out of the overflow of the favor we already enjoy as children of God. And notice what he says there in verse 1. 
we're not just children of God in a dry legal sense, like there's this big adoption line in the sky and we walk through and our papers are stamped and then filed in that big file cabinet. No, we're dearly loved children of God. Our Father loves us with a deep, white, hot, fervent, passionate, everlasting, unchanging love. You're dearly loved by your Father. And so, he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. But then the question is, well, how do we most imitate God? And Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Notice verse 2, and walk in love. The way we most imitate our Heavenly Father who has loved us so dearly is by imitating that very love. So when a person comes to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God implants in that person the DNA of God's family. And over time, that DNA grows and flowers into the beautiful fruit of the family trait of God's people, and that is love. We most imitate our Heavenly Father as we walk in love. But not any kind of love. He defines what kind of love it is in verse 2 by saying, walk in love just as Christ loved us. And how did Christ love us? By giving himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. This is the heart of the story of good news in the Bible, that God through Jesus offered us this incredible gift. And Jesus, our elder brother, at great cost to himself, loved us. And that's the kind of love that's to characterize the family of God. It's a sacrificial, lay-your-life-down kind of love for others. And by the way, just to encourage you, verse 1 tells us that our Heavenly Father loves us deeply. Did you catch verse 2? Your elder brother loves you deeply too. He's described here as literally laying his own life down, taking the blame and judgment that we earned and deserved in our place so that we could be brought into the family as his younger brothers and sisters and actually share in his inheritance. What kind of an elder brother does that? I'm a brother, and I remember growing up not taking the blame for my siblings very often. In fact, typically I was pointing the finger of blame at them even when they didn't deserve it, right? That's how we are, but our elder brother said, nope, I'm going to take the blame for them. So as they believe in me, they, they get to share in all the blessings that I've earned for them. And this is the kind of love that's to characterize God's people. And so as you begin to see this fleshed out in Scripture, the logic is this. Since Jesus entered into our brokenness, he moved toward us in our suffering in order to serve us at our greatest point of need, we who've experienced that grace are compelled by it to be a people who move toward others in their brokenness. Christians are people who move toward the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized around us. We don't turn away with hard hearts because it's hard or we, or we don't care. Like Jesus did for us, we move toward it. Not because we're better than them, but because we understand, because we're the broken who are loved like that. And so it compels us to want to move toward others and demonstrate that same love to them. In one clear category or group of people that God calls us to love as we imitate him are, is this biblical category of children in need of families. So if you look over at James 1.27, it's one of the more familiar passages to this. We could look at other verses as well. But James 1.27 describes caring for 
children in need of families as one of the authenticating marks that we really know Jesus. And it makes sense. If we're called to imitate God by walking in love, and God has loved us in that way by giving us family in Him when we didn't have it, and by the way, Psalm 68, 5 and 6 describes God as the father to the fatherless, the champion of the widow, the one who places the lonely in families. And so God says, this is my heart, though you may forget about the 10,500 kids in Massachusetts foster care right now, I don't forget about them. I know each one. I know their name. I know their story. They're made in my image. I care about them, and my heart is turned towards them. I'm the one who's placing them in families, and I want to use you, my people, to do it as part of the solution. So James 1.27, pure and undefiled worship before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphan and widow in their affliction. That means to enter into, to visit in order to serve them in their affliction. Now, children in foster care are not orphans. They have parents that they love, most of them, and they have parents who love them. All right, so we don't use the word orphan or fatherless when we speak of children in foster care, but temporarily they're in the condition of functionally needing a temporary family, again, as I said earlier, until hopefully they can experience restoration, which, by the way, as a Christian community, we should be the most passionate about seeing family restoration. Or, again, in the case of adoption, when that's not possible. And so it still falls under this biblical category. And so we we just use the phrase children in need of homes to describe them. So God calls us to do this as a mark of authentic faith. So we believe as an organization, as a ministry, that for the Christian community, caring for children in our communities in need of families is not an option for us. It's not something to, let me think about that and see if I agree, or maybe it's a ministry fad or trend for us to try out and see if the glove fits until the next shiny object comes along. We believe that as long as in our backyards, right here in the South Coast and South Shore and Boston and Massachusetts, as long as there are children right now who literally need homes, that that the Christian community must be part of the solution. it's, It's not an option for us. And so again, that's why we exist. We exist to help catalyze or mobilize the Christian community towards that end by helping to create what we call these sustainable cultures of ministry. We're not after just an emotional appeal that leads to a quick maybe response and then fizzles out quickly because it's a hard space to serve in. We're thinking long-term sustainability so that down the road, the the collective Christian community says, well, of course we're a people who care for children in need of homes. Was there ever a time we weren't? And this is the good history of the Christian community throughout the uh, ages. And so what does that mean? Those two words are really important, sustainable culture. We believe it must be sustainable because it's a mark of authentic faith. So as long as we are saying we believe in Jesus and we're exposed to the need of children in need of homes around us, we need to be part of the solution. It's got to be sustainable. And it's also got to be a culture for that very reason. It's not simply reserved for the superheroes among us. It's something that should 
characterize the heart of all of God's people. Now, a culture doesn't mean everyone is called to serve in the same way or to the same degree. Not everyone uh, can do uh, the same thing or everything, but we can all do something to be part of this. At the very least, it means collectively as a community, we're aware that there are children in our backyards who need homes, and we agree, yes, we should all care about this and be part of the solution. And so as we work with churches to think about creating a culture, uh, the, the greatest, most pressing, immediate need is more families for these children and youth. I think you'd say that, right? It's more families willing to open up their heart and home and receive children in need of families temporarily or long-term. That's the, that's the most pressing need, right? And there's about 10,500 kids right now, and that's been growing in Massachusetts who are in foster care. About 1,000 of them or so are on the adoption track. These are kids. That's a large number, but each one of them is an individual one uniquely created by God in his very image and therefore in possession of a dignity and value that's not only worthy of our care but really demands our care as people who uh, you know, believe in the, in the value and sanctity of life. And so uh, what I say to churches and, and Christians, I say, hey, I would ask you to just begin praying and say, say Lord, would you raise up from our midst those whom you would call into this space as a foster and adoptive family. And as you pray that as a community, I would encourage you to say, and Lord, if that's me, I'm willing. I do think we need to be challenged as Christians to kind of look in the proverbial mirror and ask the question, is there a good reason I'm not providing a home for a child in need when maybe I have this bedroom that's just sitting there? Is there, is there a good reason I'm not? Now, there might be lots of good reasons you're not. I'm, I would never try to pressure or guilt anyone into this space because that's a bad reason to enter in. You will fizzle and it won't go well and you have a bad story to tell. All right? But it's a good question to prayerfully ask. And so I'd encourage you as a church community to just begin praying that and say, Lord, wouldn't it be great if over the next year you raised up one or two families from our midst that that would receive children in our communities who need families temporarily or permanently. But that's not the only way to serve. We recognize that's a big ask for someone to just step into that space. It's something to be thought through carefully and prayerfully. And so our philosophy is to help churches and then networks of churches create... Um, Uh-oh, I think I turned it off. Sorry, guys. Oh, no, okay. You're, you're not... You're okay. You're safe. Um, is to help create these cultures so there's multiple entry points for people to step in and minister where they're at, right? And so at the top of the, the, the entry point are things like you did this past week, which is a beautiful display, a service project, right? Where it's a low commitment, low risk. You can come and put together some gift bags and write some cards and deliver them to encourage the, the, the local social work community. That's an incredible way of demonstrating love, building trust, and building bridges to that community. And that's something anyone could do. Um, there's all kinds of service projects like that going on. We have some networks up in the North Shore, the Merrimack Valley, for example. They recently, with some, uh, about six or seven churches, together with some community uh, partners, did some room renovations for 
visitation rooms where the biological families will come and visit with their children. And so they were kind of drab and white and old, and they came in together and just totally you know, made it over with new stuff and new colors, and, and it was really well received. And now it's a, it's a warm and nurturing place for those visits to take place, serving those families. We had a, just this last Wednesday in our North Shore network, we had 10 churches from different denominational stripes, but all you know, sharing the core of their faith, worked together to do a day-long social work appreciation event in the Cape Ann office. Breakfast, lunch, ice cream bar, uh, service, uh, service dogs that came in for them to just play with for an hour, and all kinds of things. And the, 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 the comments were, wow, in 30 years, we've, I've never experienced any kind of appreciation like this day was. Uh, I've been smiling all day. This is like... I've been in tears. They each got a thank you card like you guys did with a gift card and that kind of stuff. Building bridges, demonstrating love to folks who are on the front lines of one of the most broken and needy um, systems in our society. That's the power of the church saying together we can tap into our shared desire to love, to volunteer, to use our resources, to, to just lavish this community with love. We have churches doing what they call snack packs. So they put together non-perishable um, snacks and, and drinks so that when kids are waiting in the lobby, the lobby kids, so to speak, for placements, they have some snacks they can give them and they can enjoy. So some churches are doing that. These are simple ways that anyone could jump in and be involved and build bridges to that community. Um, and so we help churches envision with their local um, area office how they can best do that. Uh, but a second way that requires a little bit more commitment, but that is so needed, is through being a support person for someone in foster care. There's a 30 to 50% turnover rate among foster families. Research shows 30 to 35% are thinking often or very often about quitting because it's a hard space. And so we believe one of the most effective ways that the church can serve that community and serve children in care is by saying, I may not be able to be a foster parent, but I could wrap around someone who's doing foster care and support them. So you know what we need? Are you an encourager? Some of you are encouragers by nature. We put together what we call support one teams. We gather together families and individuals for consistent, proactive, ongoing support for families. And one of the roles is just simply to encourage. Once a month or more to think of a real creative way to just speak life to that family. If you're an encourager, you can be part of serving the foster care community. We have help. Are you a helper? Are you someone who just loves to help? You're always fixing things and helping people, and that's your heart. That's an area of need. We need helpers who'd say, you know what? I would love to help a foster family with some tangible need that could relieve a little bit of their pressure and give them more space and support to serve the child in their care better. Are you a person who prays? We need prayer warriors willing to pray and lift up this community. In fact, we have a prayer initiative called Project 516, where Monday through Friday we have right now about 67 people praying five minutes a day for the foster care community. We send out an email at 4.30 in the morning to give them an idea of something to pray for that day, and we include a child who's on the, the heart gallery list for them to pray for as well. You could join that prayer initiative, pray at fosteringhope.org. We also need people who are willing to do childcare for these families, get, get their you know, quarry check and, and say, yes, at least once or twice a month, we want that family to know they have respite, they have a date night, they have a night out with their friends, they have a night for an appointment or a Saturday morning committed to them. 
if you are good with kids and can do childcare in a trauma-informed way, that could be something you do. The list goes on and on. My point is there are many ways to serve and studies show that when families in foster care are wrapped around with that kind of wraparound support, their percent, the percentage that go from one year to second and third year jumps from in the 50 percentile up to the low 90s because they have support. So by supporting the family, you're supporting these kids and you're fulfilling James 127 ministry. Well, that's the kind of culture that we're seeing created, and God is doing some incredible things. The Spirit is stirring, really, in Massachusetts, among his people, and in the growing relationship between the church community and the state in ways that are astounding me. It's unbelievable. We had an office, uh, a worker, I think in the Haverhill office, who recently said, I've never seen so many Christians before. And it wasn't in a negative way. Now, there's some pushback, Okay. But overall, there's a recognition that there's a lot of love and support uh, possible as we engage in an informed, careful, uh, compassionate way. And so we exist to try to help be that bridge to make sure that we're doing it well, uh, along with our partners. God is a God of compassion and grace. We know that because we've experienced it personally. We're living testimony to that. God is, is, is moving his people to care for the vulnerable, including children in need of families. The ultimate solution to the foster care problem and all the systemic issues that cause it and all the brokenness that spring out of it, the ultimate solution is that great hope that we're all waiting for, the day when Jesus comes again and he rules in peace and all the things that cause there to be orphans and foster ki kids in foster care, etc., are removed. That's, that's the ultimate solution that we're hoping for. But until then, as God's people, we don't sit on our hands and, and just wait and say, yeah, I can't wait till that day comes. Until that, that day, we imitate God as dearly loved children, and we walk in love. We walk in love. We're the hands and the feet and the heart of God in this world. Wouldn't it be great if the Christian community got so engaged in this need that no matter what is happening socially or politically or whatever, that the system said, hey, whatever happens, we can't exclude this community. That's our goal. Ultimately, our goal is that as the Christian community rises up and loves and serves this community, the, the glory and the beauty of God's adopting love would just blaze through his people who have the agenda of serving and loving the most, some of the most vulnerable of our neighbors. So my prayer is that God would continue to give you, as a church, guidance as you continue to think about what does this mean for us? What is our role in this region? What is our role as a church and, and our unique calling? What is my role as an individual part of it? Can I pray more for this? Can I be an encourager? Can I be a helper? Can I just be an informed person who... Uh, seeks to, to bless in, in little ways, or is my role to say, you know what? Why am I not being a foster adoptive parent? Maybe that is something that God is calling me to do. If you have any questions or interests about that, we'd love to talk to you more about it, and I'm sure Conrad has some people that he can uh, connect you with too. Uh, we do have a table in the back 
uh, with some resources, and we also have some information if you want to get on our digital newsletter list, or if you want to express on that uh, sheet, yes, I have interest in serving uh, in some tangible way. I have interest in supporting someone. I have maybe some interest in foster adoptive care and would just like to learn more. You can check off on that list and then we can start uh, the, the ball rolling with communicating with you and thinking what that means uh, down the road. May God greatly use you as a church community to change the lives and legacies of who knows how many people in your backyard, in your neighborhood, through your love and service to that community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love to us. It's astounding how much you care about us uh, and the love that you've given to us. I thank you for the love that's so evident here in the way they're already engaging and serving, and I affirm this church for that. I thank you for the work of your Spirit in calling them into this space, and I pray that as they continue to seek you to understand in, a, in a, a more a clear and nuanced way, how they could continue to serve moving forward and join with other communities uh, in this region to bless the Brockton office. I pray that you would give them wisdom by your spirit. Lord, I pray for those here who, uh, who might be a viable home for a child who right now is bouncing around foster care or is in a group home and that doesn't need to be. I pray that you would stir their heart and impress upon them a sense of calling to, to consider uh, whether that calls for them. And Lord, we just pray again that through this community, you would just brightly display your love to the surrounding area, that many lives would be touched. In Jesus' name, amen.